We're going to be in here continuing on our series in the book of Ephesians. So if you want to get your Bible and open it up to Ephesians. And uh, while they're doing that, Justin, my good buddy Justin, I left my clicker in the Family Life Center kitchen window. Can you run and grab it for me real quick? I'm not going to get very far without my remote control. You know how this goes. Um, so yeah, make your way over to Ephesians. Justin is heading. Okay, okay, guys, that was all a trick to get Justin out of the room. I want you to know, this coming Friday is Justin's three-year anniversary as our youth minister. November 1st was his start date in uh, 2016, and we don't have a lot of time because he's coming back, but I want you guys to flood him with texts and phone calls and gifts and just encouragement on Friday. So take out your phone and type in November 1st, Justin's three-year anniversary, show some love, all right? So take a minute, do that now, make a note reminder on your calendar, or just make a note reminder in your brain calendar, and uh, yeah, I left my remote control over there on purpose so that we could get Justin out of the room. And so it's a surprise, so don't say anything, but I, I'm hoping that this Friday he's just going to feel the love. Hey, everybody give it up for Justin! <laughs> Silly me, I'm so forgetful leaving things where they don't belong. But Justin, you're a faithful friend, and I'm glad. You want to stay up here and click it for me the whole thing? Okay, he doesn't want to. Here we go. Ephesians, uh, the series we've been in is called We Go Together. We're journeying through Ephesians together, and we're going to continue on in Ephesians chapter 5. Let me start with a joke, though. I think it's a little bit of a fitting uh, joke that I heard. So once there was this burglar, and he broke into this house in the middle of the night, and he's in the dark, and he's looking around trying to figure out what he's going to steal from this family, and then suddenly he hears a voice from behind him, and the voice says, Jesus is watching. He whips around, and he's, who said that? But it's dark. Can't really tell. He takes out his flashlight. He starts to shine it, but he doesn't see anyone. So he says, oh, maybe I just imagined it. And he continues burgling the place and doing what burglars do in a dark house. And then a second time, he hears the voice from behind him, and it says, Jesus is watching. He whips around and he looks, and this time he shines his flashlight onto a birdcage, and inside there's a parrot, and he says to the parrot, did you say that? And the parrot says, yeah, you got me. I said that. Uh, my name's Moses. And the burglar asked the parrot, Moses? Uh, what kind of owner names their parrot Moses? And Moses says, well, the same kind of owner that names their Rottweiler Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is watching. Bad things happen in the dark. And like the burglar in this story, uh, people don't want their darkness to be exposed. And they certainly don't want to hear, Jesus is watching, when they're doing something that they shouldn't be doing. The last section that we looked at in Ephesians, we have Paul detailing some of the descriptions of the old self. And this week, in this next session, uh, section that we're going to look at, he continues along this line and he points out some things that are commonly done in the dark. And as you could probably guess, he's going to say, these are not good things. These are not part of being in Christ. But he not only lists some of the characteristics of, of what it can look like living in the darkness that we're, we're called away from in Christ, but he also gives Christians some direction on what we're supposed to do when we encounter that darkness. So the message this morning, hopefully, will be a word of encouragement and a word of empowerment for anyone who's ever felt overwhelmed by the darkness, or if you've ever wondered how in the world can we stay true to following Christ in a world that has so much 
darkness in it. In a day and age when there's so much pulling against the ways of Christ, what are we supposed to do? I think Paul's going to give us some advice here this morning. So uh, it should be good. This should be very useful. Listen now for the word of God in Ephesians chapter 5. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let me go back a couple verses. You may not have picked up on this, but it's a little bit jarring that Paul goes from walking in the way of love and being like Christ, just as Christ loved us and he sacrificed himself for us. And then he makes a very, very sharp turn and says, avoid sexual immorality. There should not be a hint of sexual immorality among you. Does that seem jarring to anybody else? It's like, well, Paul likes to list things, but he goes from like the way of Christ to the darkness of sexual immorality. It seems like a very specific thing to talk about, going from Jesus on the cross to things that are sexually immoral. We need to maybe unpack this a little bit in order to understand this. The Greek word that's used here for sexual immorality is the word porneia, and you don't need to have a very good understanding of Greek to hear that that word sounds like a word that we are familiar with. Our English word porn or pornography comes from porneia. And we're reminded here, as we reflect on what we've learned from Scripture, or Paul's understanding of what it means to be in Christ, is that sex is something that is designed by God to be a good and enjoyable thing between two covenanted married people. It's supposed to be mutually beneficial, requiring putting others' needs above yourself. He says this is kind of like the connection piece between Jesus putting people's needs before his own and being willing to sacrifice himself. That's what a healthy sexual relationship is supposed to look like. But... That's not always what we see nowadays. To many modern minds, sexual activity is a right, a commodity, or a means of self-gratification. And pornography, as ubiquitous as it is in our day and age, contributes to this self-focused misunderstanding of how we are supposed to uh, use and enjoy sex the way that God created it. Young people today are learning uh, a lot about sex from pornography. 
you might even say young people are learning about sex from porn than any other source. Let me give you a little bit of perspective. In 1972, at the height of its popularity and success, Playboy magazine had 7 million subscribers. 7 million people every year subscribed and viewed Playboy magazine. Today, one of the leading porn websites has 92 million views per day. 7 million a year versus 92 million every single day. 75% of all males and 58% of all females have viewed pornography by the time they are 17. 70% of scenes depicted in mainstream porn are non-consensual. I could go on and list more of these stats, but I think you would agree with me at this point that we don't want our young people learning about sex from pornography. And yet, it's more available, and more popular, and more of a thing than ever before. Sexual immorality, like Paul lists here, which I think would include pornography as well as sexual contact outside of marriage, incest, rape, the list goes on. Misuses of sex. Sexual immorality is inherently self-focused. And the way of self-gratification and impurity and greed here are in contrast to walking in the way of love, which is modeled for us by Jesus. The way of Christ is a way that sacrifices. It gives itself for others. The way of self is a way that honors the self. It's a self-focused way. If you serve yourself, then you have made yourself both a god and at the same time an idolater. You are your own god, and you are a worshiper of that god. I think that's something of what Paul is getting at here. And this is, this is the problem. This is the way of darkness. He says, this is not the way of Christ. And then he goes on, after talking about sexual immorality and impurity, he talks about some other things that are self-gratifying and also idolatrous. He mentions obscenity, foolish talk, and coarse joking. Now, at this point, uh, you might expect a slide of all of the bad words that good Christians are not supposed to say. And I could break out that list and say, these words you should say, these words you should not say. Um, but I didn't make that slide. And I didn't bring that list with me this morning. Instead, I just want us to think about a principle. Did you know that about 100 years ago, they took a survey of college students sometime in the early 1920s? And they, they asked a lot of college students, they said, what is the worst cuss word that you can think of? What's the, the dirtiest swear word that people are using these days? And you know what the number one word that college students said was? It's not what you think. The word they came up with was belly. Belly. The word that we use like with our children to describe your, your tum-tums, your belly. Yeah, you know, get some crumbs on your belly there. A hundred years ago, people were like, oh, that is a vulgar thing to say. That is the worst thing that you could come up with. And the point I want to make here is that times change and words change with them. So even if I gave you a list of all the words that you should not say, because that's not the, the right thing to say, uh, it could change. It could shift. So the principle, I think, goes more like this. When you think about this word profanity, sometimes we say, oh, we don't want people to use profanity. Those are offensive words. I want you to think about what that really means. Profanity is profaning something that God has called sacred. When you think about it, uh, a lot of the, the no-no words that we don't want our kids to learn and the words that we maybe we filter ourselves sometimes are words that have to do with sexuality, they have to do with body parts, 
They have to do with animals. Does this sound familiar? Don't say any of them or list any of these words out loud if you wouldn't mind not doing that. Uh, but just think, just think through some of those words. Oh yeah, a lot of it is just like, it's, it's body stuff. It's things that God created to serve a purpose and a function, but the way that sometimes they get used is in a joking way or in an insulting way. I think that is what profaning something means. If God created us and our bodies and animals and things that are supposed to happen, and we make light of them or we make jokes out of them, then we are saying this good thing that God looked at and said, this is good, we are saying it's not good. We don't want to put ourselves in that position. That is idolatrous as well. Say, we know better than God. Or we're going to take this good thing that God made and make something to make fun of. I don't think that that's something we should be doing. Now, I'm not a stickler for policing people's language, except when it comes to my own children. Uh, and I don't want to put a lot of don'ts on people, but I do think that this section encourages us to examine how we use our language. Is it intentional? Is it faithful? The things that we say, are they, used, are they words of thanksgiving? Are they used for building others up? Or is it self-gratifying? These things that are mentioned here, that Paul begins this section with, are things that are usually kept in the dark. And he's going to go on to talk about this and refer to this as the ways of darkness. And you can think about this, and you can understand that this kind of fits nicely into this category. Sometimes people will erase their browser histories to cover up porn viewing on their computers. Or there's, there's a, a cliche in the, the porn use world of like the, the file that you keep on your computer that is labeled differently. It says work stuff or like tax returns, but that's actually where people store their pornography on their computers. It's things that we hide, things that are kept in the dark. And nowadays, especially at church, when I come and I meet with you guys, I don't hear a lot of dirty jokes from you guys. And so that's good. That's probably a good thing. It's not like, how are you today, preacher Jacob? Oh, great. Hey, did you hear the one about, like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not hearing dirty jokes from you guys, and I think that that's good, but I don't know what you sound like at work. I don't know what you sound like at school. I think when we put on our Sunday best, we tend to put on our best behavior. So those things of the darkness that can seep into our lives are hidden. They remain in the dark, kind of like Moses the parrot. So whether it's these things that Paul lists here, or other habits of the old self that we haven't quite gotten rid of, it is very possible to hide unchristlike things in the dark. It is very possible to present yourself as one way to a certain group of people, and then actually have a different set of beliefs that you harbor in your heart, or that you behave with in another context. To be perfectly honest, I don't know what a lot of you guys do when you're not here at church. I know you on Sundays. I know the Sunday version of you. But I don't know what it's like the rest of the time. And that may make you think, well, my next point is, you don't know what I do the rest of the week a lot of the times. Some of you, we interact throughout the week, but a lot of you just assume that everything that's going on in my life is good. And maybe you should assume that. And maybe I should have that expectation. But the point I'm making is, there's a lot of room to hide. There's a lot of room to stay in the dark. And I think that's just part of our culture here at Tri-Valley. And I'm not bringing it up to cure it or to change it today. I just want us to be aware of it. I want us to think about this. I want to point out something that, again, I, I'm not really sure what the point is that I'm trying to make with it, but it's just an observation I had as I'm thinking about this passage. 
I've been at this church for almost 10 years, and not one person has ever asked me if I am involved with pornography. Not one person. And maybe that's good. Maybe that means everybody just assumes that I'm not. But my point is, you don't know. And we don't ask these things of each other. And I'm not going to, this is not the point where I say, okay, now raise your hand if you're involved in this darkness or this sin or this thing. I, I don't think that that's healthy. So like I said, I don't really have a solution, but I, I do know that there is room for darkness. And maybe we shouldn't assume as much as we assume from one another. One in five youth pastors uh, use porn on a regular basis. One in seven senior pastors, according to some statistics that I found. 43% of church pastors say that they've struggled with porn in the past. 64% of Christian men, pastors or non-pastors, and 15% of women say that they watch porn uh, once a month or more often. The stats are something that we should not ignore. It's not something that can just stay in the darkness. So what do we do? How do we go together with this temptation of participating in sin and the option of covering it up? Do we guilt people into repentance? Back them into a corner? Say something like, Jesus is watching you. Or do we, this is what churches do sometimes, do we circle the wagons? And do we say, we're going to protect ourselves from the darkness of the world. We are going to keep this church sanitary. But I don't think that's a good solution either. And I don't think that's what Paul is calling us to. Paul's approach, I think, is going to give us some helpful guidelines and some direction in, the, in light of these questions. Paul's approach is simply to remind us who we are in Christ. Here he says, you are the light that needs to shine in the darkness. And as we think about this, we realize this is an awesome privilege that continues on in a long, long tradition of God bringing light into the world. And I want to take just a few minutes in the middle part of this message here today to kind of rehearse some of that, to walk you through some of the history of the different scriptures uh, where God has brought light into the world. And, and Ryan and Sarah, I want you guys to come on up here. I've asked them to help me out with something. I'm going to read several scriptures uh, they're not going to be up on the screen, but I'm, I'm going to read them from here. And I've asked Ryan and Sarah to, to take this table. It's got some candles on it. and just, just set it right here. And as I read these descriptions of how God brings light into the world, they're going to simply light these candles, one after another. It's going to get brighter and brighter. It's probably going to get warmer up here for the three of us. Um, but I want you to think about this because it's going to end with you. It's going to end with us. It's going to end with this church. And I'm going to start at the start by going all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and read the first five verses of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. You've heard this one before. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. He separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. I'm skipping through a lot of other things, other examples that I could read. You might recall how uh, one of the ten plagues, when the Israelites 
were slaves in Egypt was a plague of darkness. That was no good. And then once the Israelites were freed and guided by Moses and to meet God in the desert and to let them come and worship him, God led them by day as a uh, cloud. And at night, God was represented by what? A pillar of fire, a light to guide his people. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Isaiah 42, verses 16 and 17, I will lead the blind by the ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. But, and listen for Paul here, he may be drawing from this passage in what we heard earlier. I lost my place. Oh, here it is. But those who trust in idols, who say to images, you are our gods, will be turned back in utter shame. Fast forward to the time of Jesus. John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. And yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And now let's hear Paul again from Ephesians chapter 5. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Do you hear our participation in this? This isn't just God made light once upon a time, or God will bring light and he will guide his people eventually like Isaiah said. And it's not even just, and then God did this amazing thing by bringing himself into the world as Jesus Christ, and Jesus was the light, and he shone, and he was this beacon, and we're drawn to him. It's all that, but there's more. The part that we get to be involved in is kind of interesting, because he says, John himself was not the light. He was testifying about the light. He pointed people to Jesus. Jesus was the light. But now what Paul is saying here is if the light of Christ has shone on you, not only are you illuminated, not only do you come out of the darkness and you are a light, you become a light yourself. 
kind of like these candles. They can, one gets, is not lit, one, it encounters one that is lit, it becomes a light. Not only is it lit up now, but it also can affect the non-lit candles. This is what Paul is describing here. When your light shines on someone else, they become a light. This is the world-changing, kingdom-bringing work that God is doing through us. And Paul's not just making stuff up here. Paul, I think, is just repeating what he heard Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5, the, the passage that Chris read for us a little bit earlier. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, but they put it on a stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. And then the exhortation, the command. In the same way, what should we do? Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Tom, glorify. Make known the bigness of God, the greatness of God. Our light shines in the world. People come to know God. People come to become the light of Christ themselves. So we don't join in with darkness if we are people of the light, nor do we shy away from the darkness and protect ourselves from it. Instead, we let our light shine before others so that they can see the good deeds and glorify God. And Paul ends this section by saying, Wake up! <laughs> I like doing that. I like it when I have a, a justifiable reason for, for doing it. It says it right here. Wake up! Sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is kind of offset. Like, uh, let's see. It's like a, like a poem. When you see the paragraph break, you're like, oh, is this a psalm? Uh, maybe. It's kind of reminiscent of Isaiah 60. Maybe he got it from there. Maybe this is a hymn that early Christians used to sing that we don't have anymore. Maybe this is just a callback to Ephesians chapter 2, when he talks about you were once dead in your transgressions, but now you are alive He's making these contrasts. I love it. All throughout. You were dead, but now you're alive in Christ. You were darkness. Not just in darkness, but you were darkness. An unlit candle. But now you are not just illuminated, but you are the light of Christ that can give light to others and that can shine in the darkness. Wake up! This is what he ends with. Go and do. What does this have to do with us? It's a commission for us to go and shine our light. No more waiting, no more passivity, no more sleeping on the job. We, as followers of Jesus, as the light of Christ, need to wake up and get going. We need to wake up to the reality of porn's impact on our male and female youth and start teaching them what a healthy understanding of sex looks like. Yes, I'm going back to that. Um, Lisa and I had this when we were in college. We were part of a church that once a spring, for any of the college students, so a lot of people were getting engaged and deciding to, to continue on in their future together, they offered this class that talked about the ins and outs of marriage and preparing you for marriage. And one of those sections was a very frank conversation about what a healthy sexual relationship should look like. And it benefited us in a really, really good way. And we've had the opportunity... Um, in Memphis and since we've been here in California to share some of that information with other folks, um, people that we get to do pre-marriage counseling with. We get to pass that on. It's an important conversation to have. Some of you might be thinking, Jacob, that's the last conversation I care to have with anybody. <laughs> and I can understand that. But it's important. It's something that we need to talk about. We also need to wake up to our own darkness that needs to be confessed. 
things that are kept in the dark that need to have some light shown on them. I think it's a huge victory in the church when two people meet together and one of those persons says, I'm not living like I should. There's some things in my life that I need to tell you about. I need to get some things out in the open. That is a victory for the light of Christ. That is a win. That is when healing can start to happen. But when you think about it, those things don't really happen super often. And they really don't happen with people who don't trust each other, who don't know each other. You're not just going to go up and say that to somebody that you're, you're loosely familiar with because you go to the same church. That's one of the reasons I think it's important for us to build relationships together. Things that we've been trying to do to draw people in this congregation together outside of the sermon time. Uh, it's a good time for me now to plug the men's retreat, November 8th through the 10th. One of the reasons we want to get our men together is just so that we can build relationships and come to know each other better, trust each other. So we're going to get out of town for 48 hours. Uh, if you haven't made up your mind about this, I really want you to encourage you to be a part of this. Uh, women of the congregation, encourage our men to go on this retreat. Men of the congregation, go on the retreat. <laughs> it's important. We need to wake up to the need for this light to shine in the darkness. You might look at this and go, oh, that's kind of cool. Look at all these candles. They're all lit. I can, ooh, I can feel it. It's warm. If you were up here, you would feel how nice and warm and glowy this is. Some of you might be tempted to jump up and, and shut the lights off and go, oh, it'll be cool because the candles will shine. But when the power goes out in your house, you may have some candles that you light, but I bet you don't light all the candles and put them in one room. Because if you light them all in the bedroom, you're going to have a hard time when it's time to go to the bathroom. You light them all upstairs, you're going to be wandering around in the dark downstairs. And that's no good. That's a poor distribution of light. That principle works in a power outage. The same principle works in a church. If we take all of our lights and we say, we're the light of Christ, let's get together, look at how nicely it glows. That's fine, and that's good, and we can all enjoy that, but there's a lot of unlit places. Some Christians say, I, I only let my light shine when I'm with other Christians. Or the only time I think about whether or not I'm the light of Christ is when I'm at church and somebody is reminding me of this. But that can't be. This is what Jesus said. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, you put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is who we are. We are people of the light. We are the light of the world, as Jesus said. We are the light of Christ himself. And we need to take that light into a world that desperately needs it. A lot of people have a, a, an understanding about the light of Christ and whether or not you can take it into public schools. I hear a lot of people talk about, oh, that's a shame. They used to pray in schools. There used to be more... Jesus in schools and public schools, now it's just totally unwelcome. Separation of church and state really did us in. Uh, maybe that's your experience. My experience since I've been in Livermore, that's not the case. Um, I have had opportunities to go into the public schools and shine the light of Christ. Many occasions. And whenever I do, they're like, when can you come back? This is a good thing. Earlier this month, Justin and I were part of a team of Christian pastors 
that spoke to every single freshman in Livermore High School about depression and suicide. And throughout that message, there was the words of Jesus, his teachings about peace and human dignity and compassion. We didn't get to say Jesus a whole lot. Someone raised their hand and said, hey, what do you do? I got to say, I'm a leader of a church. I follow Jesus, but that wasn't the point of the conversation. But the light of Christ was shown into those classrooms. I was at Christensen Middle School this past week, all day Monday and all day Tuesday, and I spoke to every single sixth grade student about speaking kindly to others. And we ended with an exercise where you give thanks for things in your life. We list all the blessings that we have, and we give thanks together. We are teaching the students to do this. And the administration says, how often can you come back? Justin was at Livermore High School this past Thursday, and he was teaching a lesson at the Christian Club in a classroom where he shared with a lot of students why it's important to read the Bible. And this is not, this is just sort of like scratching the surface. Some of the school teachers out there are going like, yeah, I do that every day. I am with these students. And your context will be different, but the light of Christ can shine in you no matter what you do and no matter where you are. So I want you guys to think, where can you take your light this week? Maybe it's a place. Maybe you're thinking about uh, your school or your, your office, the place that you go to Monday through Friday. Maybe it's a location. Maybe it's your car when you're in traffic or whatever it is. Where can you shine your light as far as the place goes? When I say that, you also might be thinking about a certain relationship. How can I shine my light to a certain neighbor that I've gotten close to? How can I shine my light with a non-Christian that I really, really care about? How can I shine the light of Christ with some relatives that we don't really talk about Jesus very often? How can you shine the light of Christ into a relationship you have with someone who is very different from you, maybe very difficult to get along with? Maybe shining your light in your specific application is going to have something to do with a hard, honest conversation that you need to have about some darkness that is going on in your life or in the life of somebody that you love. Paul says, everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is how the gospel spreads. And this is our challenge from Paul this week. It's a challenge from Jesus. Take your light out of this room and go shine it. So, I want to end by giving you a challenge to actually do this and I want to also give you a tangible reminder. Uh, in the lobby on your way out, there's a box of unlit candles, not these ones. These ones are done. But I, I bought some new candles, little tea light candles, just like these. And on your way out, I want you to take one. And I want you to take it to that place or put it someplace this week where you'll be reminded that you are to shine the light of Christ. Uh, and, you know, even light it. Maybe that's not allowed at your work. And if you get in trouble, that's on you and not on me. Uh, but light it as a reminder that we are to let our light shine before others. Light it in an unlikely place. Just think about a, a, a person that you're like, man, they'll never follow Jesus. They'll never hear me out. We're so different, we can't even have a conversation. Light that candle as you sit across the table from them. Light that candle when you're by yourself as you pray for this relationship. So that's what I want all of you to do. Take a candle on your way out, go light it, and then light it. You know what I mean? Light the candle and then, in the metaphorical sense, light your candle. Let's have the praise team come on back up here. Prepare to lead us 
in a song that will remind us about this. And let me pray for us as we close out together. Lord God, you are amazing. The light that you have brought into our lives, because we know Jesus, there's a hundred stories in this room about how our lives are better and how our lives are different and how our lives are full because of Christ. God, help us to share that light. Help us to celebrate that light. Help us to take that light that is still burning, that is still active, that is still a living flame into the world, into the darkness. Let it guide our feet as we seek to honor you with how we live our lives, but let it impact others. Let our life, light shine on other people so that they can become a light of Christ as well. Our prayer this morning, Lord, is shine, Lord Jesus, shine. Fill this land with the Father's glory. Blaze, Holy Spirit, blaze and set our hearts on fire. Flow, river, flow. Flood the nations with grace and mercy. Send forth your word and let there be light. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.